here's to courageous pioneers who understand a legacy is multifaceted. Welcome to our Legacy Planning Podcast, a podcast for leaders and visionaries of all ages. Whether you are an independent entrepreneur or someone who is part of a family business, you too can leave something of value behind for a greater purpose. Perhaps your legacy will improve workplace cultures, seize authentic moments, or inspire others with your talent. Your host, Angelina Carlton, is the founder of Design Your Legacy, a boutique advisory firm based in Beverly Hills, California. She is a mentor and coach to leaders like you and has contributed to Alliance, a philanthropy magazine, as well as to women in family business. She has been recognized by Los Angeles Biz as an LA woman of influence, as well as by World HRD Congress for her work. Remember, you deserve great coaching because your legacy is worth completing. Good morning. My name is Angelina Carlson. I'm the founder of Legacy Planning, a boutique coaching and advisory firm based in Beverly Hills, California. This morning, I have the pleasure of introducing Rob Cook. He is a certified public accountant and a certified financial planner, fiduciary financial advisor, who looks and plans beyond traditional financial planning with his clients. He believes that when thinking and planning for your wealth, the conversation should include the purpose for your money as well as the legacy you are creating for your family and community. Rob also holds a core value around achieving success without sacrificing life balance on his path to affluence. Welcome, Rob. Thank you, Angelina. Thank you so much for the introduction and thank you for welcoming me to your show. I look forward to what you have to share. I think we're trying to do similar mandates and mission statements in life and I would love to compare notes and again as I mentioned I think it's fantastic that you're guided by your morals and we're going to get into some of your favorite scriptures in a bit but to start I see by your your CV curriculum vitae you have experience with various financial planning companies and I wondered what did you enjoy what you know what didn't you enjoy where are you from and what was that blueprint from your grandfather yeah all great questions so as a quick disclaimer i'm still i still do financial planning and wealth management and i'm still at the same firm cap trust um i'm still at my 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 same firm um i do my podcast and kind of this side of things kind of on the side um but i'm still there i still do wealth management on a daily basis i love what i do Uh, i love being able to help people plan for their futures like you mentioned i'm a cpa so i actually started off my career in public accounting at Ernst & Young, one of the largest multinational accounting firms in the world. A uh, lot of great people there, learned a lot of good stuff, but ultimately, ultimately at the end of the day, I wanted to just be able to uh, plan for the future instead of just reporting on the past. Uh, and that's Ooh, what really that's got me deep. here. Can you say that one more time? <laughs> yeah, I, I want to be able to plan for the pu- future instead of just reporting on the past. Yeah. Because if you think about it, as an accountant, that's what you do, right? Uh, if you're an auditor, you're just reporting on results that have already taken place in the company and ensuring that those results are accurate for the general public to review. Yes. Tax return, it's the same exact thing. You can't do tax planning when you're doing a tax return. You're just preparing the return for compliance is what it's called in the industry. <clears throat> you're That's just deep. reporting on what actually happened. Yes. Um, and I would much rather help people create something meaningful than just say, oh, that's what you did. Oh, that's great. Or I like yes. hated, I hated when I had conversations with clients where they'd be like, oh man, well, what should I do to lower my taxes this year? And this was January and they're talking about the previous years. I'm like, well, at this point you can't do anything really. Maybe well, a couple things, but not much. 
Yeah, I think there's a lovely distinction there about um, being able to learn from one's past, but also focus, let's say allocating 50% of your energy into learning from what insights come from the past, but also 50% of one's energy in visualizing the future, planning for the future, setting clear intentions for the future, writing down goals. I think, yeah, I think half of it, yeah, kudos for being able to reflect on the past and what I might call reverie, but also that half of it of knowing that you need to put some energy into the future. If not, you're living in that rear view mirror and, and, mm -hmm. and then your control is limited regarding what you can proactively fix and do and so forth. Oh yeah, no, hundred uh, percent. As a, as a, as someone who loves history, I'll just put it that way. As someone who loves history, I love looking at the past, finding patterns, finding the steps people went through. What was their process to help them do something or for a nation or a country, you know, whatever it might be. Yes, you have to look at the past. You have to learn lessons from the past. History always rhymes. Might not repeat itself, but it will rhyme. But you have to put in the energy to plan for the future, period. And in my experience, in a lot of what I've done with clients is people just don't plan. They just kind of have this willful ignorance that they think, oh, as long as I'm just working hard, it's going to be okay. I'll get where I want to be. Yes. Without really any clear goal that they're actually yes. going after. And that's just it, or framework misguided. Yes. Or framework. Yes. Exactly. So I want to, I want to ask about your grandpa in a moment, but I have to wonder if a part of that is sometimes I think humanity gets beat down and it's not just uh, the very lucky and the very privileged. It's, it's everybody. It's everybody. Oh, yeah, so for sure. I, I have to wonder in terms of that willpower, if they just throw their luck to the wind and forget that it makes a difference and it does make a difference. Well, yeah. And I think then you also have the competing uh, priorities of the, of today, right? The stuff that we have to do today always feels more urgent and more painful if we don't do them than the things that are 15, 20 plus years in the future, right? When stuff is farther away from us, it's easy for us to discount it and say, oh, I can get to it later. When in all reality, what winds up happening is we never get to it. And then we wind up arriving there and it's far more painful than it would have been to just take care of it today. Yes. Yes. Very good. Very good. So how did your grandfather influence you? So my grandfather, um, actually both of my grandfathers influenced me a lot, but where this question is likely coming from is uh, some of the stories that I share about my grandfather on my mom's side. My grandpa Schmidt, my mom's main name is Schmidt. Um, grandpa Sh Papa, as we call him, Papa was an entrepreneur. Uh, his dad had died when he was a, a teenager, realistically. And he was the oldest, he was the oldest boy. And so he went to work to provide for his sister and his mom. And now his, my, my nana, my grandma, my great grandma picked up some you know little side jobs or whatever, but the, the majority of the income came from him as an older teenager working jobs while he was in school. And then as soon as actually a little bit before he graduated, he enrolled in the military and then sent all the money he made in the military home. Um, married my grandma, started a family, worked hard in kind of quote unquote corporate America in the sixties, seventies ish, then started his own company, uh, up here in the Sacramento area where I'm from and grew the family business was successful. And we weren't, you know, millionaires not like our family it was really bougie i guess is the only like, good word to use to describe it um but we were financially very comfortable it yeah. was never it was never an issue right but in my grandfather's eyes the money meant nothing if faith and family didn't come first 
And that was very, very clear uh, for us as a family growing up. Um, the, mon the money was a tool. It was a tool that he used to give back. It was a tool that he used to bless our lives and the lives of other people. But at the end of the day, he knew the value of spending time with us. He knew the value of helping others that were in need instead of just hoarding the money and this, you know, insatiable beast of more, 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 more. Right. Right. Which um, please people can fall into that bear trap today. Oh, for sure. Right. I mean, they, they kind of in lose the world their way. of never ending consumerism. I mean, it's a trap that anyone can fall into, no matter what your station in life or where you what you're trying to accomplish. Sure. It's a, it's sometimes what I call a scarcity mindset because mm -hmm. it's, I am so much less, therefore I need to fill that. And the world is this, you know, garden variety buffet. And then it, that, that scarcity mindset never ends compared to, it, it sounds like your grandfather was a great steward. Oh, definitely. I think that's a, a great word to describe the way he approached money you know, as a steward, for sure. Yeah. Well, good to know that you're from the Sacramento area. I wasn't sure if maybe you were from Utah or Idaho or because you went to school nope. over there. I okay. did go to BYU. I went to BYU. And so a lot of people will think that. But no, I was born and raised in Sacramento. Okay. Actually, I, I was a Stanford fan, not a Cal fan for anyone who's in the Pac-12 oh. right here. Uh, Stanford <laughs> and Oregon were my two teams as a kid. I actually didn't even want to go to BYU growing up, but I... Uh, the Lord works in mysterious ways, and I eventually actually wound up going there. But yeah, no, I, I'm born and raised here in Sacramento. I'm a true Californian. Ah, okay. Good to know. Okay. So while you were working, and, and as you still are working as a financial planner, are there any good stories that you can share about pitfalls or anything that might be useful as a tool to the listeners and to the viewers? Because I can imagine you're there kind of like the CEO who walks the floor. It's real life, real stories, real conversations, probably at kitchen tables or these days, probably over Zoom tables. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. And there are honestly a host of different things that we could talk about. Um, but as I was thinking about this question before we jumped on our call, uh, there was one thing that really just kept coming to mind for me. And I actually kind of alluded to this already in our conversation, and that's this willful ignorance that I've seen too often from people. Um, I have spoken, I'll, I'll give a, a simple case to be here. There was a couple that I helped, um, great couple, love them. They're great, great people. But we sat down together and to, in order to do financial planning, generally speaking, you got to collect a bunch of different data, right? Like, what is your asset? What do your assets look like? What does your income look like? What is your income expectation in retirement look like? What are your goals for retirement? What, what is your money profile? You know, all sorts of different things you can talk about with people. Well, I have learned to become unsurprised by how little people have actually like thought through a lot of these things. Um, but in this particular case with this couple, we sat down and we said, okay, well, what does your spending look like right now? Because then that might help us then get an indication of what your spending is probably gonna look like when you get retirement. You don't want your lifestyle to change really. So what does that look like? Um, and because I don't wanna share too many details, let's just put it this way. They shared a number that they thought was their spending number. And I looked at them and I'm a, I'm a young guy with a small family and we keep expenses pretty buttoned down because I'm, you know, it's just my nature. I'm a numbers guy. Um, my wife might say that I'm a little bit tight, a little bit of a tightwad, but I try not to be, you know, um, um, I just think about it a lot. Anyways. Fiscally um, conservative. Yeah, fiscally conservative. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Um, 
they shared a number that was only slightly higher than my family's spending. And I knew their lifestyle. And mm -hmm. so I, I said, okay, well, let's, let's work on this number a little bit. W what's the cost for XYZ? And I just kind of started walking them through it. And we quickly realized that their spending was more like four or five times more than they thought it was. Yeah. Um, and we had, they, they were adamant at first that, oh, no, this is our spending. This is fun. Oh, this is why our, our plan, plan's going to be successful because of, we only spend this amount. And so we showed them that result when it's that amount. But then we showed them, okay, what if it is this amount that we think it probably is? And, I mean, clearly the results were drastically different. Like, not a chance in you know what that's actually going to be successful. Right. And that's a bit of a sobering conversation. But I'll tell you right now, I've had too many of those. So I... many conversations with very smart people who have worked very, very hard, mm. but have, the only way I can describe it is they've been willfully ignorant. They have purposely not looked at their finances. It scares them, or they are get frustrated by it, or it creates tension in their marriage, or they um, just think that they're gonna be fine. Whatever right. your combination of those or something else, that's still not an, a good reason. You need to have the hard conversations. You need to address those important things because at the end of the day, if you don't take the time to figure out where you want to go, how you're going to get there and be willing to own where you are currently, you're never going to have the life that you actually are dreaming and hoping for. You're just going to have the life that your actions happen to create. For some, that's still a pretty good life. But for others, it's not even close to what they wanted. It's an interesting insight that you're bringing up right now, because I think that the public school system didn't condition the public to think in those terms, to plan in, in that perspective. And so they can be mm -hmm. great doctors and lawyers and six-figure income earners and, and, and maybe even business owners, like mm -hmm. which they're counting the numbers for their business. And yet, when it comes to the conversation around financial literacy, the vocabulary just is not practiced on a regular basis. Oh, well, for most of those business owners, I've seen that for them, even in their businesses, if you actually like dive in and really try and talk numbers with them, they don't really know. They just know that they have money in the bank. Yes. And so that's their measure of whether or not they're successful. And that's okay. I mean, like you need to have money in the bank, but there's a whole heck of a lot more. Yes. Your numbers could tell you about your business. And it's the same with your personal finances, exact same thing. I I'm glad that you're having that chat with uh, different people out there because I have found that either the people who are paying attention are the ones that suffered growing up where everything that they have today, they've earned. So, mm -hmm. so they pay attention because they don't want to go back to a pain they once had, or there was some type of guide or mentor that helped them and just kept repeating it into their head, into their brains. But that's like, I don't know, less than 10% of society. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's a very good point. Willful ignorance. Yes, yes. And honestly, that's what it really comes down to, because in today's world, you can easily find answers to so many questions. Like, okay, let's say you don't want to hire a financial planner to help you figure out if you're on track for your traditional retirement, if that's your goal, right? Right, right. Okay, that's great. But there are, if you don't want to hire one, that's fine. But there are dozens of retirement calculators out there. Go pick your retirement calculator du jour and just do the calculation, see where you're at. At right. least try and gain some clarity about where you actually are. Because confusion leads to inaction and inaction will yes. never get to you to where you actually wanna be. Yes, yes. Well, I and just wanna- Clarity is power, frankly. Say that one more time, please. 
And I said, and clarity is power. Clarity is yeah. power. And, and, and so is money. Money is power when you know how to use it as a tool, when it doesn't own you. Absolutely. Yep. I, I just want to um, acknowledge you again before I move on to the next question that you're having these conversations with prospects and clients and families, mm -hmm. because if somebody doesn't notice something, then it's a blind spot in their landscape. It's like that yeah. pink elephant in the baseline, and they don't know to look until, you know, like you had said, it's too late. And I think a part of it is that the culture today is almost like an instant gratification culture that we don't think mm -hmm. about living below our means because there's this pressure that, well, if I don't look good, you know, and keeping up with the Joneses or keeping up with the Kardashians or, or whoever that family is today, then it's yep. like, well, I must be less and I don't want other people to look down on me. So therefore, I've got to, you know, button it all up and make sure there's no loose threads. But then behind the scenes, it's... Yeah, the interest rates are growing on their consumer debt accounts. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So true. Yeah. So many different things you just said there. <laughs> yeah, the, people need to have these conversations. And you need to take the time because if you don't, life is just going to blindside you and take and you where you don't want to go. Yeah. And the tsunami comes at some point. <laughs> it does. It's not if, it's when, guys. <laughs> Yeah, I just want to share something quickly. I uh, I had asked my my father about you know influences that he had, and his his grandfather Herbert Carlton had told him to buy land, and this was during the time of the Great Depression. He was an insurance broker and a very mm -hmm. successful insurance broker, so he did pass on financial literacy and financial knowledge. I mean, because I think these mm -hmm. conversations, if they're not happening in the home they need to happen with that financial planner who shows up <laughs> in the home <laughs> yeah no for sure yes you yeah, know we could have a whole nother conversation about co conversations about money in the home and actually i've had even conversations with others online where we talk about why is this not happening why are we not why why do we have such a financial literacy problem and i think part of that is the fact that we don't own what our financial knowledge is there are, we could easily go and get lots of answers to lots of questions, but a lot of times we're just afraid to go out and figure it out. Sometimes I feel like for some people, or they're, they're afraid that they're going to make the wrong step. And so they just don't take any step, which is also taking an action. And we have to learn to own where we are at and then go find the answers. Because what winds up happening is we then perpetuate misinformation to generations that just has a compounding effect over time. It does. It does. And I, and I also want to say that um, when it comes to the conversation about money, let's say somebody is starting on, um, you know, home base, they're not starting on first base or second base with somebody handing them something, even though that's a separate conversation. I, I, what I wanted to say about that regarding money is if they go out and they serve and they have a great business model, doesn't mean that they're taking or stealing from other people. It just means that they're in service to many, many people in scaling. And, and it's a different business model than what the schools taught. Like even if someone went to an excellent yep. MBA program or they attended an excellent you know, business program undergrad, many times they're taught to be a terrific employee. They're not taught to be the leader. And then mm -hmm. if they're surrounded by people that um, don't support them being that, then they're the taller blade of grass. And we all know what can happen with the taller blade of grass. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> all right, okay. Well, that leads perfectly into the next question. As success leaves clues, 
and contenders mm -hmm. are always wanted. What insights have you learned that can assist individuals and families to move from the idea of a legacy to its execution? So before you answer that, I can imagine that the concept of a legacy, probably for some people, unless they're very ambitious or they're dreamers, they're not even thinking about it. Probably. And the vast majority of people I've spoken with probably don't think about it. Yeah. Um, so maybe a quick back up here. Legacy, legacy can mean all sorts of different things. In a financial context, that means one thing. But I actually like to define legacy far broader than what we usually think of in terms of the financial perspective. Because legacy can mean uh, you know, a gift to a charitable organization or a certain amount of money that you're giving to your children or something along those lines in terms of legacy wealth, right? But I don't actually think money has that much to do with legacy. In fact, when I think of legacy, I call legacy a life worth living. Because to me, legacy is less about the money and it's more about the lessons and the experiences and the things that will outlive you beyond even your money. Um, so for, for example, uh, here's two different examples we could give here of, of this concept. Um, you ever heard of the movie, The Greatest Gift or The Ultimate Gift, I think is what it's called. Okay, so it's a fantastic movie for anyone who's never checked it out. It's a, it's a holiday classic that my family watched as a kid. And in fact, I remember a couple of times, like as a kid being like, I wanna be one of those guys, one day type of thing. Uh, Cause he has, in the movie, there's a grandfather who he's an oil tycoon. He winds up passing away and instead of giving his estate to his children, he gives it to his grandson, but with some serious stipulations. There were various lessons that the grandson had to learn. So for example, he had to go and work for a month for no pay on a ranch. He had to learn the value of hard work. And then another instance, he had to find a true friend, someone who would still be his friend when he had no money, because this kid was a, like a trust fund baby and uh, various things. And so the grandson has to go through all these different lessons and really figures out what is the purpose and um, reason for actually having wealth. And at the end of the day, wealth doesn't mean much if you don't have all these other things is effectively what the grandfather was teaching. And so for me, that's legacy. Legacy isn't the money that the grandfather gave. It was the lessons that he taught his grandson and that the good the grandson is then able to do as a result of having this great tool, i.e. the money there for him. Um, and it's those things that, like I said, outlive us. Um, if you Have you ever seen the movie Coco? It's a, Disney, it's a Disney movie that came out in the last couple of years. Okay, you're nodding your head, I'm assuming so. Um, for the listeners who haven't heard of Coco, Coco is this cute movie that's centered around the idea of the Day of the Dead. Um, a, a holiday cartoon. celebrated. Yeah, it's a yes. cartoon movie. So um, my little girl loves it. Well, in the movie, they have this really pivotal moment where one of the main characters who's passed away and he's on the other side in the land of the dead, he talks about this idea of the second death. And the second death is when you are no longer remembered on this side, our side, immortality by someone, you are then, when you are forgotten, you then die your second death in the land of the dead and you disappear. And for me, if you marry these two concepts together, this idea of, you know, the greatest gift and Coco, legacy therefore is those things that will outlive us. The memories in the minds of other people that you have impacted and the good you have done that outlives you far beyond even your money could. Um, that to me is real legacy.
Beautiful. Thank you for defining it. Yeah, I think of that it, it needs some clarity because uh, it's similar to financial literacy, not talked about in schools growing up, not, talk, not talked yeah. about in universities, chambers of commerce and colleges and public forums. It's, it's, it's really a conversation for a, a slice of society when it doesn't have to be. Yeah. And honestly, if we think legacy is just money, we're focusing on the wrong thing. And we're going to therefore get a totally different outcome than what we really actually want. If we think of legacy in terms of relationships, in terms of life lessons, in terms of experiences, in terms of memories, suddenly the purpose for the money is so much more clear. Well, that yes, and it's exponential. And that's one of the reasons why mm. I, I like to have what I call positive role models and coaches on this legacy series, because I think that people need to hear it from different voices and also that they need to see it in action. In other words, if, if somebody like you speaks it and you embody it, that's um, much more impactful in, in how I think humans learn. And I think also what you referred to with that, uh, that movie, there was a, a holistic education that was granted, not just a check that was written. And I think a lot of times, yeah. like if we were to, for a moment, deviate to family businesses, and they know that it, family businesses oftentimes don't last beyond that third or fourth generation, like good luck with that it's because that mm -hmm. holistic education is missing. And a part of it is that people need to, they need to, they should sit down and actually have these conversations, but it takes intention and it takes vulnerability and it takes research. Like you had said, anybody can go to the internet and discover all the free tools that are there, but it also means that they have to set aside some time and not just be chasing that next deal, chasing that next dollar. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be able to think long-term. And sometimes that's hard to do. Yeah. Well, and know, before we go on to the next question, I, I think it also involves, because I know, I know many people that just chase the next deal and that's what they live for, but it's also because there's a hidden or subconscious wound underneath that needs to be healed. And then they can, you know, take their, their feet off of that mouse wheel and not have some, like something mentally inside, just whipping them. Like you got to achieve it. And, you know, and it's, yeah, I think or a part even of it's taking maybe their power there's back. hurt around that conversation. So they avoid that conversation because it in the past has created pain for them. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. And we're here to grow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So um, what do you think your superpower is? <laughs> Actually, when I saw this question in my head, I was like, superpower? What, what superpower? <laughs> um, I'll admit, I consider myself a pretty... Um, pretty just all American guy. Um, I don't really think I, I do anything particularly. Um, I don't really necessarily think I have a superpower. Uh, I think if there, if there was any one particular superpower, it'd be my ability to think long-term and goal setting. Cause that's just okay. kind of a natural thing for me. Okay. Um, and I think that is a large part of the reason why I got into the prep profession that I'm in, because it's just a natural byproduct of, of what I do. Um, but I know that that's not always necessarily the case. For most people, it's not natural to think like I do in terms of thinking almost a little bit morbid. What do I want at the very end of life and backing into where I am today and figuring out the plan to get there? Um, that takes a lot of time and takes a lot of effort. And it's not easy. And it's a changing thing all the time because life changes and life is messy. But if I were to pick one thing that's my superpower, that would be my guess is probably probably that. I think it's a, a great superpower because if humans are hardwired um, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs to think about survival all the time, then it's almost like you're 
self-managing to not just be in a reactive state, but rather a proactive state. Yes. At least I try. I'll admit I'm not perfect at it, but I try. Yeah. Well, I think, again, it goes to uh, showing the example for others and in, in paving the way because, oh, yeah, because yeah. also fear is the number one emotion amongst both men and women. And so if you can say to yourself, okay, my superpower is not going to be that of a coward who's afraid in life, but rather someone who's going to plan and think long-term, then I wanted to bring this to the surface because there's a lot of financial planners out there. There's a lot of coaches and it goes to that question of like, what makes you different? And I don't want to, didn't want to frame the question of like, well, if you could toot your own horn, you know, what gives you the right? Cause I think that question is framed a little bit aggressively. Yeah. I know right. what you mean. Yeah. But I, but I think people need to know, you know, how are you different as a human being? Yeah. 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 As a, as a human being, I would definitely say that's where I'm, unique and, and different than a lot of other people that I've come across is that yeah. my brain naturally goes that way. Um, it's naturally thinking, what do I need to do now to have what I want at this time in the future or X, Y, Z goal or whatever. Um, right. my wife jokes that like my brain never turns off. I'm always thinking about those things to get me to that next step. Um, cause that's just what I do all the time. Cool. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, speaking about that answer of long-term thinking, that great flows very good for to the next question on one of your recent podcasts with Emil Eckvart. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing mm -hmm. the last name correctly. Yep, that's right. Yep. He talks about this idea of creating great decades. So oh. what does that mean to you? Or, or if you had to walk the listener or viewer uh, through the idea of how, how would you plan a decade out from A to Z? What would you look at? What questions might you ask? And again, I'm going to the basics here because people need to start with the basics. And sometimes yeah. what's obvious is is not obvious to everyone. Yeah. So maybe some context for this idea of, of great decades, kind of where this came from. So Emil Ekvart is a professional, well, he was a professional gambler. Uh, who's poker now player a or very something. Successful yeah, poker player. And and he, he and another friend have started a very successful company where they give back a large chunk of everything that they make now. Um, to different charitable causes. Um, but Emil, in his time playing poker, learned about this idea of exploiting the edges, right? Exploiting the odds, okay. where you only have a slight edge. I don't know how familiar you are with the game of poker and, and gambling and different things. But when it comes to poker, you have a slight edge, meaning you play the percentages, and sometimes maybe you had a 60% chance to win, but you still have a 40% chance to lose. But if you play 100 times, you will win 60 of them, you know, or a thousand or 10,000 times, you'll win 60 of them and you will therefore be ahead of uh, the house, quote unquote, right? Mm -hmm. But it takes doing it a thousand times to exploit the edge because sometimes it just, you have what's called a downswing where you just are on that 40% where you're gonna lose and you're in that for a while maybe. And so we talk about, we talked about this concept together and we talked about how this pertains to life where life, is a series of exploiting the edges is a series of calculated decisions where you choose to put your time, your energy and your effort into specific things that if you choose consistently to exploit the edge in positive ways over time, it will stack to create great decades, but it might take a thousand iterations. It might take a few years before you really start to see the difference. But by consistently choosing today 
to exploit that edge, to find that positive thing, the, you know, a couple of good things you can add to your life or change out of your life to make a little bit better and consistently make those incremental improvements. Like for example, the 1% rule, you know, the get, get better 1% every single day over time that creates great decades, but you have to think long-term in order to be able to make the appropriate decision right now. Right? So just like in poker, you might think, oh man, if I just, or let's say you're playing blackjack and you've got a, a 10 and a two, oh, I, you know, or a 10 and a five, well, I got to go for it. Right. You know, I can, maybe the odds are in my favor, maybe they're not, whatever. But if you consistently make bad choices, you won't get to where you want to be. So that's where this kind of conversation came from. So when I think in terms of what does it mean to create great decades and how am I doing that? I'm doing that by making little choices today that I know will stack over time to create great decades. And I'm thinking of where I want to be in 10 years and choosing the decisions today that will then set me on that trajectory to get me to where I want to be. So that's what a great decade is to me. Great decades, not great days, not great months, not great years, but great decades. Think right. longer term and then right now exploit that edge. Yeah. Thank you for explaining it because I, I think again, if somebody can hear it, then it plants a seed regarding what can be real. Yeah. Yeah. And if I think anyone who's naturally a dreamer or wants to create something in your life, you have to learn to think in terms of decades. You cannot think in terms of right now, this week, this month, or even this year. We talk about annual goals, which is great. But at the end of the day, if your annual goal isn't informed by say, a decade goal, mm -hmm what's the point of the annual goal? You're just, it's only direction for that one year, but life is a series of years. So plan for the series of years, even if life changes along the way, that's okay, but at least be moving in a direction where you want to go. Yes. Well, I think a part of it is that companies, generally speaking, they have the annual reviews on the SEC and they talk about that with the stock market and annual earnings, but how, again, this is such a, a special yet rare conversation because the, the decade chat, yeah, we don't even see it in the news media. We don't see it amongst our world leaders, the politicians. And so where do we look to even plant that seed or have that idea? So thank you for, for bringing it to the forefront because I think it can have somebody sit back and think, okay, well, all right, I could do the one year, the three year, the five year, but what if I also include the 10 year? You know, maybe that's mm -hmm. not too far out because you're right, it does change if our life is like a ship it does change the navigation ever so slightly so that those tiny yep. distinctions do add up and and also it exercises our brain to think further than you know there, there's a, a <laughs> there's a, a comment and the well the, the comment or the insight is you know when attorneys write a contract they write it in their favor or their client's favor so if we're writing our mm -hmm. financial plan why are we not writing it in our favor and in our favor mm -hmm. might mean that 10-year plan it might mean yep. that instead of just being bombarded by all the, the messages that come in every week from the, the media and advertising and social media and so forth, we're also uh, taking hold of the pencil and deciding, like you had said, what do I want 10 years out from now? Maybe they're not asking it. And I think one of the, and I want to highlight this before we move to the next question. I think when you ask these clients and prospects of yours about their legacy, it's so important that even the question is being asked. Because we can talk about new sports and weather, but if we're not asking the more quality questions, it's not asking the brain to even search for that answer. Yeah. Well, and to your point, we talk about new sports and weather all the time because that's easy. 
It doesn't require us to be vulnerable. It doesn't require us to open up or to share difficult things or to um, have to really see ourselves clearly. Um, but we do ourselves a huge disservice when we don't do that, right? Part of the growth and part of becoming better is being willing to accept the difficult conversations, to accept the difficult questions and being willing to go there. Yeah. Um, so you have to move beyond. I mean, like, I, I love sports. I love those sometimes superficial type conversations because they're just all, they're all part of us, right? It's right, an easy way right. to connect. But at the end of the day, real human connection, real progress is made when you can strip away the barriers. We can actually get to the real person. Yeah. And not just cheer for for that uh, professional athlete who's winning that goal, but to cheer for our own mm -hmm. lives and our own families and our own yeah. dreams. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Well, speaking of habits and rituals on a daily basis, what do mm -hmm. you do today that is different than a year ago in terms of what do you choose to keep? What do you choose to break apart from? Yeah, this is a great question. And ironically, there's a, a two different things that came to my mind. Um, first one is this thought that I, in the last few months have come to this realization that sometimes it's not what else I have added in, but what I have taken away out of my life, uh, what I have purposely chosen to remove. Because I've found that uh, I'm the kind that I'm just like a go, 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 I want to create, I want to make something in my life. And so I'd add in all these things to the point where it was just like, I don't have enough time in a day to do all the things that I think I should be doing, or I even want to be doing to try and get to where I want to be. Right. Um, but stepping back and having the awareness to go, okay, what is actually the most beneficial for me? Not just all these things that all, all these other people are saying that I should be doing, but what's the best thing for me? Okay, let's remove all the other stuff that's kind of related to that and just do that one thing then. Um, so what have I added this year? Um, I would say for me, stillness is a big one for me. Uh, <laughs> Angelina, you, go, you know, I got a big uh, breath there. Uh, for a lot of people talk about meditation. Uh, I was the kind of person that if you told me to meditate, I'd sit there and think about how I should be meditating <laughs> and how I'm not doing it right. Right. Um, like, Oh, come on. You should be meditating. What's wrong with you? Stop doing, it. you know, I, I could not just actually create the like space that you're supposed to have doing, doing meditation. But I had someone reframe this whole idea of meditation and call it stillness. And this, they, they basically said, if you know, don't, you don't have to sit on a mat or on a pillow and cross-legged and, you know, do a chant, you can just sit in your chair and close your eyes, but be completely present and completely still. And all of a sudden, just that difference in the way that they described it, um, I tried it out and it has made such a huge difference. I mean, my wife would attest that I'm the kind of person that I'm a, I, from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, it's all go all the time, whatever it is that I'm doing, I'm all in all the time. But I have come to realize that taking time for stillness has enabled me to be perform so much better in other areas, but I have to purposely sit there and invite it in. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's definitely something that in this last year has come in. I've realized both there's a bunch of things I don't need that I can get rid of and focus on the few that really do serve me. And one of those is stillness this last year. Very good. Bravo. What, what, what is one thing you got rid of? Um, 
Well, I used to think that I have to get up at like five o'clock in the morning and I have to have an hour and a half workout and then I needed an hour of, per, you know, half hour to an hour of personal development and then I have to do it. And there was a bunch of things that I would try and do before. Um, now I've cut it back to be like, okay, I really find deep satisfaction and joy in my personal development time. It really helps me a lot. Okay, so I'm gonna make sure that I have that piece. I like being healthy. I'm gonna make sure I work out, but I've realized there's other that other thing is more important. So I'm gonna get the workout in that I can. And if it doesn't happen, that's okay. I'm gonna make sure I do a certain amount. You know, that's just kind of my my baseline. But I'm not gonna kill myself, right? Mm. Or I'm. Uh, I have a certain like for example, I, I I would read and I would kick myself if I wasn't reading a certain number of pages every single day. Like this is just my personality, oh, right? And now I've okay. given that up, and I've said, okay, I'm gonna just make sure that I just take some time to read. Even if it's, I read 20 minutes, you know, it's different than the 20 pages before or whatever. Cause before it was all about just get through it, get through it, get through it. I want to, I know leaders are readers. So I got to read, 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 read. Right. Yeah. Whereas now it's like, I would rather take the time and I, I read for say 20 minutes and I read a page, but I really truly digested what I read. I, it changed me. It wasn't just getting through the content. Um, so yeah, that, those are a couple of things that I've kind of cut out. It's just, sometimes it's just adjustments. Sometimes it's just a change in perspective, but those are some of the things I've kind of gotten rid of. Yeah. It's much more meaningful now. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 And I still like working out. I still like reading. I just yes. changed it. I cut out those things that were unhealthy and unhelpful for me. Yeah. Well, it's almost like you took away that one line that was like A plus, B minus. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Now, do I still work out? Do I still? Re yeah. I mean, I, if you look at my desk here, I've got like a stack of like five books right next to me that I'm 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 working through, right? But uh, I'm still doing the stuff that I should be doing. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I changed how I do it or why I do it or yeah, uh, yeah, the yeah. approach in a way. If that makes Good. Sense. Very cool. So, as you are an avid goal setter, how do you celebrate wins? Because I think there's this idea that. Uh, people who are motivated or that that do this type of personal development work they're like you had said they're just go 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 but then when when does that moment come when you get to celebrate a win so how do you celebrate it because i think it's also a little bit countercultural. you know we live in this culture where all the crabs pull each other down and then you want to be that tolerated grass and then it's like and now i'm celebrating <laughs> how do you like me now yep. <laughs> well i will admit i am not good at celebrating and my wife has helped me with this a lot and i have to give her all the credit because i was one of those so much so that that was just such a like go 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 get the next goal get the next goal i never realized that i never celebrated it was just such a part of me that i never saw that um and my wife is wonderful but she doesn't have that like constant need to be constantly pushing herself so she was able to see that in me um, she's still done a lot of great stuff and she's awesome. If anyone who knows my wife will know that that's true. That's a true statement. Uh, but she didn't have that one part of me in her. And so she helped me see more clearly. And so I'll admit I'm not good at celebrating, but that's honest. I have, I have found that I am getting better and I'm getting better by purposely making time to celebrate. If that's weird, I almost like turned my celebration into a goal. Like yeah, I think... there's the goal to like go, 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 go. And then I made a goal to make sure that I celebrate. <laughs> makes any sense. But that's the way my brain kind of works. Um, well, it's a new neural net wire, right? Like it's a new mm -hmm. path to the mailbox. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So 
I do things now like I'll treat myself with a, a book that I've wanted, or I will um, treat myself with um, some time with some friends. Or because in my mind, like because faith and family are my number one and number two priorities, I got to spend most of my time with my faith and my family outside of my work, you know, type of thing. But basically, learning to just treat myself in ways that I know that I would like, but I don't allow myself to have because I these other things are more important um, is one of the ways in which I celebrate. My wife has encouraged that. She's like, you need to do more of that because frankly, it'd be healthier if you did more of that. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I have my wife to thank in large part for a little bit better uh, overall. I'd say maybe mental health might be the best way to describe that. Yeah. Um, well, she's encouraging balance. your balance. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. And I'm, I'm glad again that you emphasized your balance with faith and family because, you know, we don't, we don't read about that in Forbes, the Forbes no. 100 list, right? No. Yeah. But it is possible. It is possible, though. Oh, I think it is more than possible. I think that there are, frankly, more examples of people who maintain balance in those things that are more important than those who don't. But those who don't tend to have the most publicity and the loudest voices. And so we just don't see it very often unless we actually go look for it. Unless we go look for it. Yes. Yes. So. Okay. Here's a perfect example. Okay. Right. Um, Grant Cardone. Anyone who's familiar with real estate investing likely knows Grant Cardone. Um, he's got his name and his face everywhere, all over different parts of social media. And what he teaches about investing in apartments is fantastic. He, he He's trying to make a, the difference in the world, and that's a good thing. However, Grant Cardone didn't get married until he was in his late 40s and didn't start having kids until he was in his mid-50s. I am 33 years old currently. And... If it were up to my wife and I, we'd have more than just our, our one little girl at the moment. So he doesn't have a playbook for being 30 years old, married with a family and trying to balance it all. Yeah. You know, and he talks about the importance now of his family and his wife and his little kids and how important they are to his success. But he never had to worry about actually keeping them while he was building his empire. Right. Because at that point, without that, he's just chasing it as hard as he can 24 yeah, seven personally can go. And let's right. be real. If you're by yourself and you don't have to worry about anyone else, you can go really, really hard. Absolutely. Right. right. No distractions. Oh yeah. None. What's yeah. Other. Yeah. I mean, no, granted, there's other things that might be distracting, but that's, they're frankly, not nearly as important as those big things. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very, and, very, oh, please go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so for me, as a young guy, I would read some of this stuff and I'd go, yeah, for sure, I need to do that. But then I'd look at his story, you know, learning from the past, and i go, but I can't do that his way. I'm going to yeah. do it my way. Right? And, and, and humans, go for it. Well, and humans do mimic one another. I mean, that's humans are hardwired to look at someone else uh, and, and as they are a role model, whether they are good or bad, and do a comparison. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, one of the conversations that you uh, have talked about the, about financial literacy, it's what I also call the internal landscape conversation. So just because the mm -hmm. outside world is doing it doesn't mean that you have to absorb it, but it is data. It is garden variety data. So you could look at Grant Cardone and I know many guys that look up to him and admire his success, but you're right. If it doesn't fit your lifestyle right now or belief system or, mm -hmm. you know, identity, then it's, it's like, okay, well, that's an interesting case study. Now I got to go back out into the field and find something else. And, and if you yep. can't find it, then it's a very different conversation if you have to be it at the, as the pioneer. Yes. Yeah, yeah. that's a whole well, honestly, different set of skills. 
honestly, I had seen the examples of, say, like my grandfather, who had done this idea of being an entrepreneur, creating some sort of financial well-being for his family while maintaining that balance. And so I knew that it was possible. I just knew that those voices just weren't as loud. And so that's part of the reason why I created Contenders Wanted is because I said, I want to give voice to these people who are doing incredible things, providing great value to the world, creating wonderful things in their own sphere, but they're doing it the right way, in my opinion, the right way. They're doing it while maintaining that balance of those things that really actually matter in the long term, instead of just figuring out a lot later when it's a lot easier to then look back and go, oh yeah, you guys should, you should do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, of course, but how? Uh, And that's a big question is, is the how, so yeah. Yeah, well, kudos yeah. to you again for bringing those guest speakers on because you're right. Um, sometimes we just look for the easy answers. And when the media is putting uh, individuals like Warren Buffett or some of those main names in front of us, you know, it's, it begs the question of, well, who else is out there? Yeah. yeah. And it's not a judgment of them as a person. Correct. They're all, I'm sure, great people in their own rights. It's just their path is not my path Correct. or the path that I want to go down. And that's okay. Right. I just choose a different route. Yes. Very good. Okay. So speaking about choosing different routes, what do you think holds people back? From making progress? From, well, from in what way? In, as it relates to, to legacy, because this is a legacy series conversation, what do you mm-hmm. think, like, like, obviously, Grant Cardone wasn't going to be held back because he was super motivated. He didn't have mm-hmm. obstacles or setbacks. He was just at the starting line and he, he sprinted as far and as long as he could until mm-hmm. he got to age wherever he's at right now. But for, for many of the people out there, solopreneurs or just, I mean, I think all of us are given the same amount of hours a week. I think it's 168. So what, what yeah. causes some people to say, you know what, uh, I'm not going to open up that book or look for that financial literacy website, or I'm not going to think I can define, develop, and execute a legacy? As I read this question, as you're, you're talking here, um, the one thought that keeps coming in my mind is fear. And more often than not, I think it's fear of failure. Um, as much as we want to think that we're all big and strong, like you pointed out earlier, fear is a strong motivating factor. And I think we often are afraid of dreaming too big or afraid that we won't be good enough to get what we, we want to get to where we want to get to. Um, and so ultimately what that leads to is it leads to inaction. It leads to not planning because if you don't plan for it, then you never can fail because there was never a goal in the first place or it was never, uh, somewhere you're trying to get because you didn't plan for it. You didn't do the work because then I didn't fail. Then I'm, I can still be good enough. Um, and so I think a lot of times it just comes down to being afraid. Are you afraid of failing or are you afraid of not being good enough? Are you afraid of being looked down by other people or are you afraid of um, being different? Those are all real fears that all of us feel in different ways. But at the end of the day, fear should just be like, uh, it, it should be like our instrument, part of our instrument panel, indicating, telling us, we're going a certain direction, we're doing a certain type of thing, but it should never be the brakes on the car. It should tell us something, but it shouldn't direct us where we're going or give us accelerate or decelerate us. In fact, a lot of times, if we're afraid, that's a good thing. 
It means we're in a space where we're growing. It's in a space where we're becoming better. It's a space where we're improving our lives. But more often than not, we want to run from the fear because yeah. fear, a lot of times in the past, more than likely, had pain attached to the back end yeah. in some way. So I think that's a, more often than not why people don't don't do it, don't create it. Yeah, which is unfortunate because the world needs it. Yeah, yeah. the world Each needs people has an incredible gift in some way to give the world great value that we can impact people's lives. And if you hold that back, you are holding back a blessing for the world. In a yeah. way. Okay. Very good. Very good. All right. Well, speaking of things that we stand for and living our legacy, what would you say is the hardest thing for you to stay accountable day in and day out? Or is it easy because you've already started to create what I might call the, the muscles around it? Um, I will admit in certain areas, it's very easy. Um, I gamify my goals a lot. <laughs> I create scoreboards and I'm a bit competitive and different things. So I make it easier on myself. <laughs> but, um, but for certain goals, it's still difficult. At the end of the day, accountability kind of requires you to be accountable to someone else. By definition, mm. you can't be accountable if there's not another party there. Okay. Right? Um, so for me, part of my accountability is my accountability to God. Uh, I, I view my life as a gift from him. I, I come from a traditional Christian background. Um, for listeners of the show, my, my, my faith is a large part of what informs me and who I am and why I do what I do. Um, and so when you think of this idea of heaven or hell, right, in the traditional Christian sense, I don't need to be burning in hell for eternity. I just right. need to know that God, that I, if I were to come before God and he says, Rob, you had so much potential and I gave you these opportunities or you had these tools and you didn't take advantage of them, you could have been X, Y, Z. That is hell enough for me. Yeah. In and other so, words, I gave this to you and you wasted it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That would be hell. Right. And in an eternity knowing that that was what I did, oh right. my gosh, that, that would be hell enough. I don't need to burn. I would, tor I would torment myself right. for eternity right. in that regard. Um, so part of a large chunk of my motivation is just knowing, for me, because I know that God is real and that it's not just a figment of my imagination. I've had my own personal sacred experiences that have shown me that. that that's all the motivation I need to keep moving in a lot of areas. But there are some harder things that it's more difficult. And yeah, it's, it's great to bring in a spouse or a friend or mastermind groups or different things that I've used to, to help me keep moving forward in the past. Bravo, bravo. Very good answer. Very deep. And, and kudos to your courage to talk about God today, because some people are afraid to bring up that word, that name. <laughs> well, you know what? In my opinion, we all have some sort of belief. Okay. Even for those who don't, who say they don't have a belief, well, that is a belief. And that's okay. Um, I'm just going to own mine. Yeah. And even if my God is a little different than your God, that's okay. We all believe in a God. Well, at least we're all trying to do right. Right. Um, by some higher power, in my opinion. So that's why I'm, I'm okay with talking about it. Okay. Hopefully, you're, hopefully it's okay. I realized I, I maybe talked a little bit more than maybe I should have for your show. I, I apologize. Maybe I should. No, I think it's great. Yeah. I've, I've had a, a dream interpreter come on. He was, uh, very, uh, like he lives it and, uh, and he, and he teaches it. And so, yeah, I think that, um, you know, whether somebody's belief is uh, of the 
you know, Western hemisphere or the Eastern hemisphere, I think that there's some sacred messages in those texts that, uh, like we have talked about before, public school didn't necessarily want to, um, you know, and I understand they might not want to mix like, you know, church and God and whatever, you know what I mean, with politics and yeah. school and all that and stuff. But but even just from an educational standpoint, if somebody goes back and, and they read the different texts and and they look at the, the lessons that were trying to be communicated through those parables and those riddles and and all of the verses, I think that there is a wisdom that can be gleaned from that, uh, regardless of the the times and the, um, you know, we can think that we're living in modern times, but I think that humanity, and I know we need to wrap up in a second, but I, I think that humanity still needs to have that rite of passage and that learning curve. You know, one of the the, the statistics I read is something like a business coaching is a $10 billion industry, but technology is something like, I don't know, 950 billion or something. I don't remember the exact numbers from mm. top of mind. And so technology brings amazing conveniences. We're able to have this chat today because of technology, but at the same time, we can't forget that we have to transform and grow as human beings oh, and, yeah. and, and think on our feet and have those critical thinking skills and search out answers and yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's it's vitally important. And I think honestly in, in my personal opinion, when you think in terms of faith, whatever that is for you, I think we are more alike all of us than when we are different. Uh when I was in school, I took a class called Survey of World Religions, and I was fascinated to learn about so many other cultures and religions and things, and I was fascinated by the interconnectedness of all of them, of how in all reality there are great principles. It doesn't matter if it's Confucius or Jesus. They taught similar principles sometimes. It may have been in a different context and in a different place in the world, but they're teaching the same thing. Because yeah. at the end of the day, to your point, we all have to learn. We all have to grow. We all have to come get better. And these universal principles are the same no matter where we are or who we are. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and thank you for sharing that. Uh, the majority of uh, my... Uh... Uh, followers on social media, as well as the viewers on YouTube tend to be male under the age of 40. So I appreciate you voicing that. And I don't know if, if that is the profile because uh, males are more likely to achieve their legacy, whereas women might take a step back. You know, I don't know in terms of the uh, internal conversation that could be happening, but yeah, thank you for bringing up God and your morals and, and also valuing family and life balance as much as the, uh, Good old money. <laughs> Money's just a tool. It becomes an insatiable beast if it becomes your focus. And yeah, you yeah. You got to think yeah. about those other things. Yes. And final question. Uh, do you have a favorite scriptural line? And we can complete our, our legacy chat with that. Oh, man. Honestly, there are so many that I could share. Um, but one that came top of mind, um, ironically, is... kind of goes along with this conversation, actually. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. I don't know if you're familiar with this one. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. And in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thine path. Um, at the end of the day, we can plan all we can. We can set all the goals that we want to set, but we have to trust him. Sometimes it doesn't. the path doesn't make any sense. Sometimes you think you're going one direction and you wind up going another. Um but if we acknowledge him and try and do what he asks us to do, that higher power, however you want to describe it in your life, um, he will direct our paths. I know that from my own life, that as I've strived to do 
align my goals with his goals for my life or that higher power's goals for my life, things are just easier. Things go more smoothly. Life is better. Not easier, but it's better. Um, so that that's one of my, my favorites. Very nice. It's a good joint venture, a good JV partnership. Yes. Yep. Yes. Well, to wrap it up, I just would like to highlight um, something you had said at the very beginning about willful, willful ignorance. And I just want to uh, just thank you again for bringing the knowledge that you have, whether it's a blend of common sense, wisdom, um, and spiritual insights to this approach that you have to the conversation around legacy so that anyone who is out there and they're listening and they're watching and they're thinking about, you know, how would I define, develop and execute my legacy? They've they now have another perspective that they can blend in spirituality and you're not somebody who lives in a bubble. And so in, in fact, it's like, I think you're much more aware because of your uh, search for how to blend different parts of your life. So you're not just, uh, you know, chasing that the Benjamins hardcore, as they would say. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. I mean, you definitely seek uh, financial freedom, but uh, in that search and in that, uh, you know, building your kingdom towards that, I think you're also, like you said, acknowledging God. So you're not just going to be in service to yourself, but also in service to your family, to the community. Yes. And to the world. Yes. In the world, but not of the world. Yeah. I love that. As a, as a good uh, as a mentor of mine once said, you got to determine whether or not I'm building my kingdom, the kingdom of Rob or the kingdom of God. And Very depending nice. on what your answer is, that tells you a lot about yourself. Yeah. Okay. Very good. And anything else you would like to, to share before we wrap and I'll do my spiel about like subscribe and <laughs> uh, no, if, if you want to learn more about me or about my show and what I do, you, know, you can find my show on all major podcast platforms. We're just an audio format at this point. Uh, contenders wanted. You can check us out at contenderswanted.com. You can email me directly if you want at Rob at contenderswanted.com as well, or nice. find me on social media. Very nice. And thank you for, for coming on to video. I appreciated it. I wasn't sure if you were going to accept, but I appreciate that you're bringing the face to the voice. And Of course. Happy to. Wonderful. Okay. So on that note, we hope that you like and subscribe and share with your friends and family. And um, again, keep defining, developing, and executing your legacy. And if you need any financial advice, Rob Cook is the financial planner to chat with. Thank you, Angelina. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Okay. Thank you so much.